Welcome to the Men at Work podcast, episode number 13. I'm your host, Travis Streb. Today, we are talking to Heidi Rolston. Heidi is the VP of Learning, Diversity, and Inclusion at Hootsuite. She is an amazing woman, and we had such a great conversation. And it's interesting, Heidi not only works in this field professionally, but it's a huge passion of hers. She runs a not-for-profit called Uppity Girl, which is all about supporting women's equality globally. She had just returned from uh, a trip to Cambodia, working on similar issues, and she's worked on this issue both locally, globally, and corporately. So just a ton of wisdom to offer. We talked a lot about gender and social equality globally, We talked about what's going on here in North America. We talked about the role of unconscious bias and the challenge around actually learning anything about that. We talked about uh, why men might be resisting change on the equality front. And the funny thing is, they actually at Hootsuite are working on a program called Men as Allies, which is really about enrolling men in the gender equality conversation. So all super relevant to the Men at Work podcast. Great conversation with Heidi. I know you're going to love it. Let's dive into episode number 13. Here we are at Hootsuite headquarters. Heidi, you got your Women Are Gold shirt on and your gold sneakers for International Women's Day. Yeah, this is from Cambodia, actually. So this is this is Khmer up here, which is the language in Cambodia, which is where I was last week. And uh, they have this saying in Khmer that is so- something like, men are gold, women are silk. And it's actually a specific reference to the fact that women's virtue can be easily damaged because silk, if you drop it, it can get wrecked, but gold, not so much. So there was a a um, social enterprise in Phnom Penh that was selling, it's supporting women and they were selling these shirts. So, so they're the, flipping it. Yes. Yeah. I yes. like that. Yes. They have, um, it's interesting. I met quite a few women in Cambodia. It's still quite a patriarchal society, but met quite a few women that are leading the charge on a number of, of fronts, including land rights and labor rights for Cambodians. So what were you doing down there? I mean, obviously, were you there on a specific mission around this? Or were you there for a bit of pleasure, a bit of work? Like, What was your main purpose? Yes, specifically to take a course on um, and and to help with a course on land and labor rights in Cambodia. So it's with a group um, through the Rockefeller Foundation that's mostly um, people who run family foundations. And they are going around trying to learn more about issues impacting different countries. So that was the, the whole thing behind it. That's fascinating. Yeah, it, wow. it was super interesting because I didn't know a lot about Cambodia. And obviously Cambodia has a legacy of the Khmer Rouge and probably you know people have seen the movie The Killing Fields. If they haven't, they should see it. But, it's, uh, but I didn't know a lot outside of that and I'd never been to Cambodia. And uh, yeah, just understanding Cambodia's got, you know, a lot of issues that lots of countries face around poverty and, and all kinds of different things. But specifically, they've the Cambodian government is um, quite corrupt and has sold off 
most of Cambodia to foreign ownership and corporations, and they're just taking land away. It's, it's an agrarian culture, so they're taking land and livelihoods away from all of these people um, to develop the land and to, you know, they, they make, they grow sugar cane and so there's all these foreign interests that are basically destroying the land. That's crazy. It is and it's not something that I had any visibility to before I went there. It just isn't, you know, you don't see a lot of news on Cambodia. Um, They've also got a real problem with freedom of the press. They've cracked down heavily. So we met a lot of journalists who are, you know, still publishing work. That's the beauty of today. You can still do it without, you know, I don't know that they're getting paid, but it's fairly dangerous for them to be, to be doing it. So it was quite interesting. We got followed by the government at one point because I think we were, we attracted a lot of attention because... You know, we don't fit in when we're there. So, yeah, it was super interesting. Good deep dive. No kidding. Um, mm -hmm. So, but I mean, you, you've been involved in, in these kind of issues and in, like, you know, women's rights and gender equality issues for uh, a number of years. Yeah, I mean, I would say that I've been on the periphery. I'm not the person on the front line doing the good fight. But, yeah, that... The, a friend of mine, we kind of created this this little initiative called the Uppity Girl Productions, which uses media and events to highlight issues affecting women and girls, and have you know raised money as part of that. But really, it, it was intended to be some advocacy or some awareness building because I I you know I in my circles I I know a lot of really educated. Um, people, worldly people, if you will, but I found talking to particularly women, but also men, that there was a, not always an awareness around some of the issues that still exist around gender equality, um, both in Canada and more broadly. So that was, that was the intent around it. Yeah, I mean, it, I, I think, as I, as I remember, actually, I believe I went to one of your events, you screened a movie called The Masks We Live In, is that Yeah, right? yeah, exactly. So that's uh, that was by the same producers. There's, I think she did two of them. She's done two, anyway. Um, misrepresentation and The Mask We Live In. And I think that the misrepresentation, they're both very interesting. Misrepresentation is about the portrayal of women in media. Um, that movie made me angry. <laughs> The mask you live in made me sad. I mean, I, I don't know what what you thought about it, but because it's all about how boys are raised and and what that creates, and um, you know, I know you you briefly mentioned the the Gillette ad, right? And and that's really talking about the same thing. But yeah, it's interesting that it took an ad to generate that kind of awareness because if you look at how many clicks the Gillette ad has versus the yeah. masks we live in. Yeah. And it's it's an interesting film because it's it's truth for a lot of men, a lot mm -hmm. of boys, and still is. Mm -hmm. So when you mm -hmm. talk about the awareness piece about what are the issues that we're still facing, yeah, yeah, you're, there's there isn't a lot of awareness about it, um, whether it's locally here in you know let's call it the West or yeah. in other, other countries. In Cambodia, yeah, yeah, and I think I mean I found that the the mask that movie really. 
heartbreaking, really. I mean, that that's that's the the experience that I, I mean, I think that it I can empathize with it because I see so much the impact of how we socialize women. And this is kind of the flip side of that. Um, and yeah, you, when you see things like that, it's it's hard to imagine how we can unravel some of that. Like, it's a long process, right? And I, I was just talking to someone yesterday because I was talking about some research around parents and the impact of parenting in a corporate environment. And so basically this this research was everybody's screwed by this thing because so so women with children are disadvantaged because people often make assumptions that if you have a child and you're a female that you're not going to be able to devote yourself to work the way you should the way they think you should if you don't if you're a woman who don't have children like me you're also disadvantaged because they make assumptions the organization makes assumptions that you're going to be more available that because you don't have children, you're okay to work longer hours. And then men who have kids who are actively parenting their children are disadvantaged because it's, you know, they're, they're, they're seen as, uh, you know, that, that they shouldn't be taking time away from work to basically parent their, their children. So we're all, all screwed basically. So, <laughs> so maybe men who don't want to parent their children. So men, so men who don't want to parent their kids are doing okay. Yeah, but everybody else, we're, we're hooped. Which is a, a really wonderful legacy to leave <laughs> um, your children, which takes us back yeah. to the masks we live in. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So where this, this research you're talking about, yeah. um, this is a, a friend of yours brought this up? Did it, no, this... I was talking to someone in, in the office about it because... So I have my outside life, and then in, at Hootsuite, I, ha I have diversity and inclusion as part of my mandate. And so we teach a couple of programs that focus on unconscious bias, and then one on challenging your bias. And um, in that one, we start pushing people to examine what, what are the, the things that you believe that you're not probably even aware of that are influencing how you behave. And you know, somebody brought up the fact that men are looked, they, they're viewed negatively if they say leave early to take, to pick their child up from school or daycare or something. I think that's starting to change, but it's slow. I think it's kind of starting to change. I have, um, I have at least, I'll say at least three, probably more coaching clients who are actually dealing with this. Really? And they're in executive roles. And they're not sure. So one, you know, you know, I'll describe it vaguely, but in essence, you know, the, the one man I'm thinking of, very talented director. Mm -hmm. He has a young, two young children, mm -hmm. and he two days a week mm -hmm. takes his kids to daycare and then to school and then comes in. Mm -hmm. And As he should. Yeah. yeah, of course. <laughs> And he's quite worried about what the optics would be if he showed up, say, at 9.20 instead of at 8.45. Right. Um, and it, it's really, like, it sounds like a small thing. And it's like, oh, well, he should get over it. It's like, well, no, the, the organization's culture is, in essence, pushing that on him. Right. And right. his boss, who also has children, it's not clear that he ever comes in at you know, 9.15 instead of 8.45. Yes. So it's, and, and 
and I've talked about this on at least half of my of the podcast episodes so far, the research out there on it is a little scary. Mm-hmm. So there's a woman at UBC who's, um, she will be on this podcast. Her name is Jennifer Berdahl. Mm-hmm. And she, she researched this, she wrote this paper, um, published it. It's called The Workplace as a Masculinity Contest. Huh. And what she describes is a situation where there's a lot of workplaces that are, they're not just men, but it's like, you know, the masculine essence in essence. So structure, mm-hmm. win at all costs, mm-hmm. um, lots of challenge, very mm-hmm. minimal praise. Mm-hmm. Who stays the longest is the, you know, most competent mm-hmm. and rewarding individualistic behavior. So in those kinds of cultures, here's her research was, was it was like, well, they still exist, which is like, okay, well, no surprise. Mm-hmm. Here's the thing. Her research looked at this interesting bias. I forget what it's called, but in essence, it's this idea. It's kind of like the emperor's got nothing on. The mm-hmm. emperor's yeah. Um, yeah. And what happens is whoever's working in the organization, be it a man, woman, whatever, you're, you observe this culture happening. Mm-hmm. And because it's happening, you assume that everybody wants it mm-hmm. except you. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so you don't want to speak up mm-hmm. because you'll out yourself. Mm-hmm. And you just assume, well, this is what they all want. Mm-hmm. So it's not for me. Mm-hmm. And so mm-hmm. it perpetuates itself. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I know, and this is the thing that's so hard. Like, if you look at all the companies, especially in tech, that have been trying to make progress against diversity and inclusion targets, and just aren't, we're not moving, we're not changing things significantly. And I think that's in part because there's, it's a system, and the system is self-reinforcing, and that's a really good example of of one of the ways that that happens. And and I think that that's a bigger problem in organizations in general is the amount of time we don't speak up, you know, because in a lot of cases there's a power differential. We just had this thing yesterday here that I also will not, you know, we could speak out in, anybody, in but terms, yes, yeah. and um, and and a leader did something that basically created this massive domino effect of like pain for everybody in the org. Not everybody in the org, but a lot of people. And, you know, I was having a conversation with somebody who's on the front line of this thing, and I said, are you going to say something to them? And he's like, no, no, there's no point, you know, because this person happens to be potentially, you know, quite quite senior in the organization. And, uh, and, and you know, there's that assumption that either I can't because there might be a repercussion or I won't because there's not going to be any change in behavior. But I really feel like you have to say that stuff because otherwise, for exactly the reasons you're talking about, you look like you're endorsing it. If if you don't say anything, then, and I think this is, you know, one of the things that's inherent in that Gillette ad is just because you're not the person perpetuating this stuff, if you stand by, you're complicit, right? Which is true in any kind of circumstance. I mean, that just happens to be about, you know, men's behavior towards women, but could be with respect to people of color or any group, right? Yeah. Um, so, but that's scary and fascinating research, isn't it? And discouraging a little bit. It's a, it's a bit discouraging, and I think, but you know, the, the antidote to it is is the speak up piece. 
And I'm curious, when you, when you look at the unconscious bias programs you have and then the challenging your bias programs, how, like, how do they work and what are you finding? Like, are you, mm-hmm. and, and, and I'm obviously, given that we're on the Men at Work podcast, I'm, mm-hmm. I'm super interested in the gender side, mm-hmm. but also you know, mm-hmm. feel free to talk about mm-hmm. stuff too. Yeah, it's it, and this is like one small piece of, of our strategy, and it's obviously not sufficient, but I think awareness building is important. Um, so they, I mean, unconscious bias essentially just introduces the concept that we've all got bias that we're not necessarily aware of that Im- influence how we behave. And it gives a lot of examples of very tangible impacts of bias. There's, there's a ton of research in the medical field around what kind of treatment people get in emergency rooms and places like that mm. based on their gender their, um, or their binary gender and the, you know, whether they're a person of color or other things. And so that's one piece of it. The challenging your bias is makes people a little more uncomfortable, quite frankly, because it starts to get at what are these inherent beliefs that we hold. Um, and, and so, yeah, I, I think for the most part, people are approaching it with a lot of openness and curiosity. That said, inevitably, in every program I teach, there is somebody, and it's not exclusively men, but it tends to be more men because we happen to have more men in this organization, so there's probably a likelihood of that, um, that question whether this is a real thing or not. So question whether there really is differences in the way people might be treated in the organization or more broadly in the world. Um, And that can be a little frustrating for me personally. Obviously, as a facilitator, I need to kind of do my (laughs) open, curious thing when inside I probably want to scream. But... So that's one of the things that I've noticed. The other thing I, I'm trying to figure out, because this is on me as the facilitator, is the participation in, in the sessions tends to be to echo the way the organization is organized with groups that are dominant versus non-dominant. So people of color, which are underrepresented in the organization, don't tend to say a lot in those sessions, uh, which is a problem that I'm trying to figure out how to engage everybody in the session more more uniformly. So it's a well. I I mean it's interesting because some of some organizations have taken the view that you you know it's, it used to be kind of diversity or inclusion, and you, mm-hmm. you kind of had to pick one. So some of them have. The, what what do they call them? The um, employee resource empl- groups. ERGs, employee yeah. resource groups. Yeah. So they create a space for for a group of people to get together who mm-hmm. share some like diversity. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think that the area that what I like about what you're doing is you're pushing it and going, yeah, we need that safe space, just mm-hmm. like a just like women should have a space as well, and perhaps mm-hmm. men should mm-hmm. and. But then, when do you come together? Because mm-hmm. mm-hmm. we don't we don't solve the problem, or we don't even make progress if mm-hmm. if we only talk in our groups. Yes, yeah, and 
I think the jury's a little bit out on the ERGs. There's some organizations that have completely gone away from them because they felt like they were inadvertently exclusionary, which they are inadvertently, yeah. And then some that still have them. We kind of have created a loose framework for them. We haven't had a lot of groups step up and say, I mean, we're still a fairly small organization, so we haven't had a lot of people step up and say, I really want to create a a particular employee resource group. We have a women in leadership group, but even that one, there's debate at the moment because we've been talking about doing some mentoring and the question has come up about whether can we just mentor women or do we need to provide a more inclusive kind of opportunity that that includes men and women. Um, And I'm not totally sure where I stand on that yet, that particular one. <laughs> Usually where I stand is not a problem for me, but that one I'm kind of of two minds around. And I think that there was, you know, we went through a bit of a, a period in, in the work world where women's groups became very popular. And I think then we went away from that for the reasons you're talking about. I don't know. I'm not sure what the solution is. I certainly don't know what the answer is. Yeah. Um, it's interesting, though, because I almost wonder if you know, men have, have in, in, at least in the corporate world, have generally had, they've always had a men's group. They don't call it that. Yeah, yeah. They call the it, whole thing's yeah, the men's group. The whole group. thing is the men's group. <laughs> Everything, if you're either inside the circle or you're not, you know, it's yeah. the, the after, having scotch after work, the, yeah. you know, the golf. Yeah. And I, but I wonder, given what I'm seeing, you know, currently, yeah. With more men taking on responsibility at home, mm-hmm. that shifts into the workplace. Mm-hmm. And do do men actually need potentially to have a men's group to, mm-hmm. and not to talk mm-hmm. about how they can dominate the world, mm-hmm. but to talk about, hey, I'm struggling with the childcare mm-hmm. thing too because mm-hmm. I want to be able to come in at nine thirty. Mm-hmm. I will work and I'll do mm-hmm. everything I'm supposed mm-hmm. to do, and I'm a senior leader. Mm-hmm. But holy cow, just to be able to share that. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, I'm, I'm involved in men's work and have men's groups, but it's a, there's something about a shared experience in a, in a I shouldn't just say corporate, but in any organization mm-hmm. that's important. And mm-hmm. we found this with women, mm-hmm. for sure. Yeah, and I don't know. It, it is, I think you're right. And I, I can't, I haven't figured out, as we said, the solution, because there's, there's times when I enjoy being just in the company of women. And... And maybe this is exclusively kind of a binary gender thing and it doesn't apply to other demographic kind of groups. But at the same time, if you think about, say, a golf club, that, you know, those have been under fire and criticism for being exclusively men, you know, isn't Augusta Mm -hmm. up until last year was men's only, right? And that's infuriating to me. But there is this, there is this other space, which is, you know, how, and, and in fact, we're, we're of a program in development called Men as Allies that's bringing together men in the organization to talk about their experiences as men, but also how do they support women in the organization. But that, and, you know, I don't think we exclude women from going to something like that, but it's also not really designed for women to learn to be allies to men, right? I mean, that, that was, you know, well, so. <laughs> it's, I mean, 
there's there's good reason for that. Yeah, I mean, for sure. <laughs> yes, yeah. You've you've had, well, it's it's funny when you were commenting about the whole the kind of the organization's been a, one big men's group, right? And one of the first meetings that I attended of this women's leadership group, we read an article that was about should we have quotas for you know boards and leadership and all that kind of stuff like some of the Nordic countries have and mostly the entire group of women was massively opposed to any kind of quotas or targets and I said yeah I get it like I get that we're very interested in being valued for our contribution and not for our gender but basically quotas and targets and affirmative action have existed forever. It's just been the quota has been focused on men, right? So, so, and suddenly everyone said, oh yeah, that's, that's actually right. Like, you know, so I don't know. I just, before we started talking, I read another article about Sweden and, you know, they're seen to have some of the most, most progressive kind of attitudes towards women. And they still only have 6% of their organizations run by women. So I don't know what the solution is, but... Yeah, Iceland's done some big progress on that too. I know mm -hmm. at, the, at um, the W North Conference last year, I spoke there. And I forget the woman's last name. Her first name is Hala. Mm -hmm. um, she was a prime ministerial candidate. Yes, yes, yes. I've seen her interviewed yeah. before. Real, real, uh, like what an inspiring... Person, um, so they they exist out there. The quota debate's big. I'm I'm super curious though about this Man as Allies program because okay. I have not heard much about this, and it's one of the things yeah. that you know I'm really curious about. Is I think that if in in my view, there's been let's say at least a little bit more experience of okay, we need to be supporting women in leadership in corporations. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Let's set up a separate channel for that mm -hmm. and now it's uh, what I'm feeling the shift and one of the shifts I'm trying to drive is yes keep that mm -hmm. don't dispense with it mm -hmm. how do you then involve men mm -hmm. so that you can mm -hmm. have a real conversation mm -hmm. um, yeah and I think that's that was part of the thinking around this um, and the recognition that especially in an organization that's a system and so you know, my belief is that generally speaking, there are there are certainly people who are prejudiced and discriminatory and misogynistic out there, but the majority of us discriminate not against others, but in favor of people most like ourselves. And so if that's true, and you have a system right now that's dominated, for, for example, for us, you know, only about 17% of our leadership is female, um, so if that's the system, then, and people are, you know, most attracted to people most like them, they're going to keep reinforcing the system because they're choosing people like themselves and they happen to be white and male. And um, so how then do you disrupt that system? And, and this was a small way to think about within the organization you you need more men actively advocating for women in order to shift that system, I think. And so now the hard part is figuring out what does that content look like and how do you engage men in that dialogue. And, and um, 
I, being a control person, had to let go of it because I'm like, this is not actually my program to create because I'm not a man, right? Um, and I can provide feedback, and I, and I should, as should other women in the organization. I think we don't want to do this in isolation. But really, I handed it over to a group of men in the organization to kind of start to think about how do they want to position this. Um, and, and some of the things that they've been talking about is, yeah, like not only what, what happens, how are men seen in the organization if they call out another man for making an inappropriate joke or something like that, right? What, what happens in that kind of a process? in an organization where there's power and there's economics behind how decisions get made. I, I think that's an incredibly powerful motivator it is for me personally. Yeah. Um, I struggle with that yeah. a lot. Yeah, and yeah. It, even in situations where it seems like it would be easy. Mm -hmm. So um, in, my, in my men's group, I had a situation where you know, one of the, we have we have a WhatsApp chat group, mm -hmm, and it's a men's mm -hmm, group about becoming mm -hmm. a better man, not mm -hmm, about you know mm -hmm. world dominance. Yeah. And we had a situation where a guy sent out a picture of him with his with his business partner. He was a beautiful woman. Mm -hmm. So the next string of texts are all about sexual innuendo, and it's a men's group. <laughs> and um, what's happening there? Well, and. It, and I'll tell you, I'm uh, like, I'm ashamed, but I'll own it. I didn't say a thing because I'm like, yeah. I was newer in the group. I'm yeah. like, I don't know what the flavor of this yeah. is. But part of me was actually like, this isn't the group I want to be part of. Yeah. But then the other part of me is like, okay, empathy hat. Yeah. These are, you know, a lot of them are younger men. Maybe this is so, but I still, I mean, even as I talk about it, I'm like, I'm, I have a lot of shame around not mm -hmm. having said anything. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But it, it's these moments. Mm -hmm. And if you can't, if, if you can't say it mm -hmm. in a group like that, mm -hmm. where it should be safe, mm -hmm. are you going to say it at work where there's potential financial yeah. damage yeah. or yeah. You know, whatever Power. future opportunities? Yeah. yeah. I mean, that's, that's like, I think we've all had those moments though, right? For different reasons. And I, I actually took a course in, in, in the summer in New York and it, the course was all around power and women in power, right? And how power influences us. And, and the, in, the reason this course was created originally was when all of the Harvey Weinstein stuff started to come out. And the, and the woman who taught the course was in dialogue with other women and other women were talking about how they'd all have stories, different types of stories and, and, um, in different circumstances, but they all had these moments where something happened and they they were stunned in into silence almost. So something happened, somebody said something and inappropriate, and they're so shocked by it that they didn't even respond to it. And um, and so she, she created this course to help women in particular, but this is true generally, people kind of figure out how to respond in those kinds of circumstances because I think we've all had that I I've had tons of moments where I was like, did that just happen? Right? And then and then you're kind of like this feels wrong, but I'm not sure. And for me, I find the hard part in organizations is I tend to when I respond come out swinging. And unfortunately that 
isn't very helpful either. Like I think the empathy thing is really important because all I do is further entrench people in their opinions, I think, when I get really aggressive on that kind of stuff, right? Yeah. It's, uh, it's, <laughs> well, well, like if anybody, I mean, it's uh, there's a, a, a wonderful book by a woman called Celeste Headley called uh-huh. We Need to Talk. I don't know if you ever came across it. Her, no. her research is great, but she she's looking at how, how do you actually change someone's mind? She was an NPR yeah, journalist. Yeah, and yeah, yeah. She's like, you know, no one's no one has ever changed their mind by being told that they're wrong. Yeah, yeah, they yeah. She only really ever, I mean, in, in, in big ways, shifted their thinking Yeah. when someone's actually asked them about their who they are, where they come from, and, yeah. and go from a place of empathy. Yeah. And then they change their own mind. You yes, never, you yes. You're never going to change. Yeah, yeah, and that's what's hard about it, right? And And teaching these courses has really forced me to you know, take a deep breath and not try not to be, but it, but in the moment it's hard because you have that fight or flight. You're either stunned into silence and you're like, uh, what do I say? Or, you know, the claws come out, I think for me anyway. Yeah. Or there's, you know, in some situations we see a lot now you wait and then, you know, privately share it on social media or something. Right. 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 With the intent to do even more harm. Yeah, exactly. Um, So this, this Men as Allies program, I'm mm-hmm. super curious about it. Mm-hmm. And I know I keep coming back to this, but I've mm-hmm. never heard of this before mm-hmm. in an organization. I think it's certainly notable. And whether it ends up being a success or, you know, you have some failures, good on yeah. you for doing yeah. it. Yeah. The one of the, you know, I'm, I've been developing some content um, for some events I'm going to be putting on later on this year around that topic. And mm-hmm. one of the big things that I, I know as a, as a man I experience is, like, the part of the resistance is, you still, like, from a gender perspective, you know, we still want to be able to celebrate the fact that there's difference mm-hmm. and not just end up meeting in the middle in this kind of neutral where women try to be more masculine yeah. or and, and yeah. men try to be more feminine, but we actually can celebrate the fact that we have, we're going to have, a, say, as a man, I'm going to have a feminine essence mm-hmm. and I'm going to have a masculine essence and they're mm-hmm. both okay to have. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. At, at, a certain, at a certain point, when you develop in that way, mm-hmm. you see that there's a time and place to be using those different mm-hmm. uh, skills and energies. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think it's a really good point because I, I had a conversation a, a week or two ago with um, a woman here who's super talented and has excelled in her career even and 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 we were talking about some of the challenges she's facing currently in her role um and and one of the questions was you know should i behave more like a stereotypical man and and i'm like i i can't endorse that like i feel like that doesn't Basically, all we're doing is still conforming to the norm, right? And I think that your point is really important in that in organization, this organization has to learn that and has to sort of internalize the idea that difference is what is the most powerful, useful thing, right? And and whether that's, you know, how we think of men and women or cognitive differences or any any kind of difference we have to see value in that and i think it's so contrary to how tech companies in particular but all companies have have rationalized culture right which is 
culture is this thing. It's this mighty, powerful thing, right? You talk to anybody and it's always like, our cultures, you know, we've been indoctrinated by the nonsense in, you know, all the business world that this is the thing that makes or breaks companies. And is it important? For sure it is. Um, but it's this idea that you have to inject people like a virus if they don't conform to the culture. And, you know, first of all, definition of culture is massively nebulous. Every single person I ask to describe the culture, they kind of do this, well, it's fun and there's people that I really <laughs> like, right? And, 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 and so do I think you need people in your organization who align with your values? For sure. But this idea that everybody has to be same to fit is so tech-centric, but broadly in organizations. So I think you're right. I don't think that the idea is, you know, women become more like men or men become more like women, whatever we mm. stereotype that as. There's an interesting book called um, um, Delusions of Gender, huh. which examines all the research around this concept that there's these massive differences between men and women and basically concludes that the differences are between individuals. So there's more of a difference between you and I as individuals than there is because you're a man and I'm a woman. But we 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 have this myth that that it's all about, you know, it's like the men are from Venus or yes. women from Mars or whatever, whichever way that works. So I think that differences thing is really critical. I don't want people all trying to conform to some idea of, but I mean, that's what we've got right now around leadership, right? Our concepts of leadership are largely built on a particular group, right? Yeah, they're, and they're, you know, well, they're built on the idea of masculine leadership as being yeah. Yeah. everything Top. has to be super structured and there's yeah. tons of discipline, but it's also the business world in general. <clears throat> yeah. Or let's say can be built that way, especially mm -hmm. when you're working in a publicly traded company. Sure. This is one of the reasons that some companies just choose to stay private. And I was yeah. talking to um, Tom Shapansky. He's the, one of the founding partners at Rethink. Mm -hmm. I don't know if you know Rethink. They're a creative mm -hmm. agency here. And I was really curious. I'm like, well, you're a creative agency. You get, but you got three three men started this thing 20 years ago. But your yeah. his next generation of talent is, looks nothing like the current. Right. I'm like, how did you do it? And he's like, well, he kind of said, I, I don't totally know. We have <laughs> yeah. he's like he has this values thing. He's like, yeah. treat be you know be nice to people, which is like his one of the top values. Yeah. Um, but the interesting thing about his the way that it's worked is, and I never I never I didn't know this till midway through the interview. They don't have a CEO. Mm. They do collaborative mm. leadership. So the three of them yeah. have to agree right. on what they're going to do. Right. So they've already got more diverse perspectives. Well, and and even though it's it was a group of three men who are homogenous men, uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but but there's there was massive difference of um, opinion. opinion and view and, and experience. Yeah, and they were able to, in essence, call each other on their own bullshit mm -hmm. and go, no, 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 we need we can't just hire more of you. Mm -hmm. We need to mm -hmm. hire someone that's got something different. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. when there are even if it's three men or three women or three whatever people mm -hmm. who are have things in common. If you challenge each other, you have something. And I think that's what I like about the flavor of your challenging your biases mm -hmm. program, even though I know you're not um, totally convinced it's, it's hitting the mark. <laughs> yeah. But it, it, it is interesting even for me to go through it 
to, to, to be thinking about, like, I'm sure that I've got biases around men who, who leave at three o'clock to, partly because I don't have kids, but also because it's in, in, been ingrained in my brain that that's not what a man's job is, right? And, and I think that whole issue of, you know, what so-called unpaid labor and the, the, which makes it sound so much more pedestrian than raising children and having a home is, is um, a huge barrier to, to gender equality right now. It's kind of that one that doesn't get as much attention as things like pay equity. And um, it's a problem. Like, I, I, I think for organizations too, you know, if, if we were able to provide daycare, I think we would be such a compelling workplace for so You know, when I worked for the Forzani Group, we had on site daycare. For sure, that was a huge attraction for men and women to join and stay at the company. Um, so yeah, that when, when people say, what's one thing, you know, Canada's so evolved, what's one thing Canada could do to further gender equality? One thing is less expensive daycare, more accessible daycare. Yeah, when in those younger ages, it's, it's interesting you bring that up and it's, it's been a real reality check for me this week mm. because I'm, I'm on my own. Mm -hmm. with my two daughters yeah right so yeah they're, they're 12 and 8 yeah so they're mm -hmm. you know they're, they're not in daycare age they go to mm -hmm. school every day and yet there's something that I've noticed that I haven't had to deal with much because typically in in our, our relationship and our family I was the one that was traveling right and now my wife's away for eight yeah. days yeah and she's the one that was handling a lot of it from a work perspective like the housework. Mm -hmm. She for sure does a lot more than me. We know that. But I take on a pretty good chunk of the burden. Yeah. It was the emotional burden this week. Oh, it's has like killed overwhelming. Me because I'm, it takes, it's, and it's, it sounds mechanical, but there's a huge cognitive and emotional load on me. Yeah. Where even as we're speaking, I'm, I'm, I'm going, okay, it's Friday, 11.30. And I'm thinking about them in a way that it, I just wouldn't. Like, okay, yeah. I wonder what Naya's up to. She's got, a dance thing this afternoon did I call the school yeah and you know tonight I'm gonna to be super exhausted I've been yeah so what do I have to but give? you gotta be on yeah and I, I think that's a it's no it's niche and it's it's detailed but like the, the emotional load that quite often women bear mm -hmm. is gonna it's gonna have a toll as well mm -hmm. and I'm only mm -hmm. experiencing it for eight days mm -hmm. oh my gosh I'm, yeah <laughs> you know. yeah and then not to mention all the people who are single parenting out there like oh. Yeah, with kids Huge. who were in daycare. I mean, my yeah. kids are much older, but it's a yeah. that's a really good point. That the daycare piece. Um, what I mean, if you if you were looking at the the Men as Allies program, this is is great, and you're obviously working in a, in a pretty forward thinking place to be able to do that. But what are some of the things that for uh, my listeners out there? What are some of the things that men can be doing on the ally side and, and thinking more in the corporate world. But. Mm, yeah, it, it is, it's hard to make some of this tangible, I think. Um, I think calling it out, you know, is, is and, and, and I just heard this morning actually that we, we, just, we just went through all of our corporate kickoff and for the year and in, in our 
European office, I guess, that they had some sort of comedian host the thing. And he apparently was quite good, but kept make, he made a bunch of jokes that were about, for instance, how long it takes women to get ready. And um, just things that feed the stereotype that, you know, would, on the scale of offensiveness, it's not, you know, as bad as some jokes that comedians make about women and rape culture, for example, but it's still reinforcing the stereotype, right? Which is women are these vain creatures who take hours to do their hair, right? And so that's the kind of, I mean, I think in most organizations nowadays, we don't hear stuff that is overtly discriminatory, but it's this, this gray zone, right? And so if someone makes it like, I hate the joke about happy wife, happy life that men often say. And so things like that, I think. And then when you hear other men saying it, that, that, and not, not calling those men out. Because even though there's a risk for, in an organization for anybody to call out behavior, in those circumstances, the risk is greater for women because we are usually accused of, this is my perception, which is, of course, you know, obviously, because I'm a woman, but I think that there's a, a bit of a, uh, actually, you know what, that's probably not fair. Probably men who call out in that circumstance would be seen equally negatively to women calling it out, because it's that same, well, can't you take a joke, you know, kind of thing. So I think the more we can draw attention to the fact that that isn't acceptable, um, and the more men can do that when they overhear other men doing it. I think there's a, a bigger thing in organizations, which is men need to, to champion women in a lot of cases. In, in a lot of cases in organizations, men are the ones in positions of power. They are the ones who, you know, in this organization, the, the CEO is male. He has a lot of of people in the organization that have been around him for a long time, a lot of whom are male, not exclusively. And there's an opportunity, I think, to make sure, for men to make sure that women's voices are being heard, so they're not being interrupted and they're asked for their opinion, but also that they are um, advocating for women for roles in the organization, for good projects, for, so trying to think more broadly and, and be really conscious of your unconscious bias, I guess, um, you know, is, is, is important. I think we, we're in the process of redesigning all of our people process. We really need to change the way we work, right? Because the way we've been doing it has just been reinforcing the system. So we know we're not promoting women and people of color at the same rate that we're promoting men um, and white people. So we're re-engineering all those processes, but it also takes people in the process to say, am I thinking broadly enough about who might be a good candidate for this role? Am I, you know, I think you have to consciously add a conversation with um, somebody yesterday about somebody they wanted to promote into a role, but she was, um, she's going on mat leave. And so, and he's, he's, he's like, I think the right thing to do is promote her into the role. 
And so he's checking in with me. But and I mean, that's the right attitude to have, right? Because so often it's the opposite. Um, so being super conscious of that kind of stuff, I think over-rotating almost a little bit is important. That's a good way to look at it. Like that's a over-rotate. Mm-hmm. So it's not an overt, you know, I'm going to ignore all male candidates or all candidates of right. a certain you know, ethnicity. Yeah. But to go, well, maybe we need to over-rotate a little in favor, or at least maybe even a mm-hmm. lot, mm-hmm. in favor of other groups. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's a good, it's a good example. The, mm-hmm. the Matt Lee one. Mm-hmm. And it's a, it's, a, it's a conversation that I hear in hushed tones a lot. Oh, yes. Maybe, you, and you probably hear it in more overt, but it's, uh, I find it, um, I mean, obviously it's, it's largely uh, BS, but it's interesting in the context of millennials in the workplace. Mm. And I talked about this um, just recently with uh, another woman on the podcast. It's, it's like, well, Okay, so you're looking at a let's say a woman who, you know, maybe she's married, mm-hmm. maybe she's going to be having children, mm-hmm. and you might look at her differently. Like, well, she's they, she's a flight risk. Oh, they routinely yeah. look at her differently. <laughs> well, and so that, that's known, and yet mm-hmm. they but they don't look at a millennial hire the same way, mm-hmm. even though they're just as likely whether they're a man, woman, or whatever, mm-hmm. they're gone. Mm-hmm. They don't stay in jobs. And so it's just, they're like, well, I don't want to invest all this in, an, in a woman who might go on mat leave. And you're like, mm-hmm. but you'll invest it in the you know 25 year old guy mm-hmm. who's going to be gonzo mm-hmm. in probably two to three years mm-hmm. once you make him bored enough, mm-hmm. or you say one thing that's against his values and he's mm-hmm. just gone. Yeah, I mean, I think it's interesting because in general, I don't think that like I think we try and create this contract at work for people where we've locked them in, right? And and you know like unemployment rate is the lowest it's been in forever, right? So I understand that, and certainly we we struggle with retaining people. Um, in general, I don't care who you are or how old you are or what your gender is, people will stay or they won't. Like, and, and there is nothing on earth that guarantees, even like long-term stock incentives, people still leave with that, right? So, yeah, but there, there's a real, I think, and I see this both from men and women who want to discriminate against women who they perceive may or may not decide to get going. And I'm like, but this is everybody, even I who don't have kids, I have friends who have kids. I I was a kid once. My mother was, that's you know, right. like, yeah, yeah. so why would you, because I think that's a very self-centered approach to it, right? Which is, this is going to negatively impact me. It's going to inconvenience me. So therefore, it's okay. It's legit if I do this. Yeah, yeah I'm, I'm making a business decision. Yeah, well, and that that's the other one, right? You know, I, I, I no, no offense, but I just need to run my business, right? Like that trumps everything, which comes back to your your previous point, I think, which is this idea of, you know, everybody needs to be a public company. Everybody needs to IPO. Everybody just needs to keep growing bigger and bigger and bigger. Why? (laughs) Right. You know, you, you, you can do a lot more. I've been in a public and a private. I much prefer a private. Well, and yeah, I mean, it seems to be a little more or even a lot more freedom to also operate based mm-hmm. on values mm-hmm. and that's one of the things that 
you know, Tom and I talk a lot about in, in our interview is the fact that, sure, and they're, you know, public companies are great. There's a lot yeah. of them that work really yeah. well. Yeah. Um, but also there's, there's, you know, Tom, what did Tom say? He said, he said, values are only values when they cost you money. 100%, right? So it's not values if it's not hard. Like, like that, it's easy when everything's great. It's when things are difficult or decisions are hard that that kind of thing is is relevant. And, um, you know, I think that that's, that's true of anything, of how you spend money in an organization, right? It's, it's If you got a ton of it, if you're Google, I mean, come on. Like, you're not, there's not hard decisions getting made. If you've only got, you know, a small amount of money and you have to decide where to allocate that, that's the, there's the powerful stuff. And yeah. hopefully the stuff where your values come into it. That's true. And I think it, I mean, the other piece is that I think it allows you to inject a little more emotion into the business mm. in some cases. Mm-hmm. Um, now, there are many private companies that are emotionally dead and some public <clears throat> ones that have some emotional <laughs> content. But it's an yeah. interesting piece. And, you know, you, you work in an organization where your, your chief people officer is a man, mm-hmm. which is rare. Mm-hmm. Yeah, in, in, in HR. Well, okay. actually, what I would say is, from my experience, it's not rare that the chief people officer is a man. It's rare that HR is, is filled with men. But actually, if you look at the number of chief people officers, I bet they are still substantially male. Really? But for sure, HR tends to be more dominated by women. It's a, and it, it's, I was reflecting on it yesterday. I was talking to Kate Braid, who was, she was talking about how growing up in the 60s, uh, that she really only had three choices for female jobs if you're on, if you're unwed. Mm-hmm. So if you're, if you're married, the job is you take, you raise know, the raise the children. But then there was, it was like nursing, teaching, teaching and, um, I forget the other one anyway, but it, it was limited. Yeah. And I'm wondering, like, do you see that similar thing in, in, in the corporate world where it's like there are certain roles where it's okay to have a woman in an executive role mm-hmm. and, and less so? Mm-hmm. I'd say in general, it's still not okay to have women in, you know, we're only yeah. like, we're, we, we aren't really dominating things at the moment. Um, but certainly there are more functions in the organization that are stereotypically judged to be female overrepresented with women right and hr is hr is one of them communications tends to be one of them you know the development software engineering that's not one of them um so yeah I, i i think for sure that kind of gender line still exists um in an organization, I also I also think it's interesting that if you look at CEOs and what their lineage in an organization has been prior to becoming CEO, oh. they're not coming from HR. It's you know, which is interesting because it's always like everything's about people, right? And people are our most important asset. But find me a CEO that started their career or had their 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 time in HR. It's mm. very rare. Um, and I think in general, they come from, they come from the finance side of things. Um, Finance operations. Yeah. yeah. So it's, it's, it's curious too, if you start to follow the breadcrumbs on some of these things, but I think too, you know, to the point around the teacher and the, 
and the um, nurse, which is what I recall growing up, there's that saying, you can't be what you can't see. And I think that that has such an impact when you think about history. If, if everything you're seeing is women do these jobs and men do, I mean, it's even like we used to joke in, in the household about the blue jobs and the pink jobs, right? And, and if that's, that's what we come to believe inherently, maybe not overtly, you know, why would any little girl in Canada think that they could be prime minister? We've had mm -hmm. one female prime minister and she wasn't elected to be prime minister, right? So, you well, know. Yeah, that or the, or the women that you have as role models mm -hmm. in a lot of cases, especially mm -hmm. if we go back in history. Yeah. They've succeeded because they've been able to take on masculine traits yeah. or lead in a yeah. mass. So back to the system conversation, it's like, do we actually allow and tolerate a range of uh, a range of leadership styles and skills? No. And in particular, it's the emotional content that I see is just not allowed for, mm -hmm. which is something that we know, whether it's EQ or the ability to express emotion, we know that in general, women are better at that. I mean, mm -hmm. the McKinsey mm -hmm. study was pretty, mm -hmm. pretty black and white on mm -hmm. that one. But it doesn't, there's, it's, it's not really allowed. And even still, it's, it's not super safe for men to express emotion aside from anger. Yeah, because I think that like if, if there are differences, the differences are socialized, right? So if, yeah. if you've socialized women to date by saying you're really good at communicating, we also are going to make jokes about how you communicate, but you know, and men are like portrayed as cavemen who just grunt, then... And, and humans are smart in the sense that we know we have to conform in a lot of cases in order to survive, right? I mean, survive in quotes, but it's not physical surviving. But in an organization, if there's a certain standard of behavior and you deviate too much from that, you know inherently that that's not going to be good for you, right? And so if we tell people this is the stereotype of how you're expected to behave, Kids are smart, man. They absorb that stuff, and um, and and so if there's no little girls in Canada who think there's a role model of prime minister that I could emulate, it's even worse for girls of color. Like, yeah, you know, you and I are white. We got it easy, right? I, I'm literally one step away from a white guy, right? So, it you know, it's it's even much harder for for people of color and indigenous people in this this country. Yeah, that's that is so true, um, and yeah, I'll bring it up again. My my interview with Kate mm -hmm. Braid, mm -hmm. she talked about on the job site mm -hmm. they're building the island highway. Mm -hmm. They had a higher, there was a, an unwritten hierarchy of mm -hmm. of humans, and it was yeah. like you know white men, men of color, and it, it, it was just yeah. like, and at the very bottom was indigenous women. Yeah, um, yeah. But it was, and this is this isn't actually going back that long. The island highway wasn't built. Yeah, you know, it was built yeah. a while ago, we could say, but yeah. it wasn't as if it was the dark ages. Yeah. Um, so, you know, here, but here we are, though. Right, it's <laughs> 2019. Yeah. International Women's Day. Yeah. Our like, you know, Kate was a she was somewhat optimistic, but she was talking about women in construction, mm -hmm. and it's still it was three mm percent -hmm. in '78, and it's three percent mm -hmm. today. Mm -hmm. So, do you think? that we're 
on the verge of something? Are we are we making progress? Like it's it's a big question, but I'm curious how you're feeling just in general about the state of things. Yeah, it's funny. I just right before I came up to get you there, I was speaking to somebody on my team, and and I said I'm like happy and sad because I feel like we've made a ton of progress, and certainly in the last two years, I think that the the movement that was me too and and the the attention around that has advanced significantly people's understanding of this problem and and multifaceted problem and it's frustrating as hell that we're still in this spot right now right it doesn't in a lot of ways feel like we're making a lot of progress um, given how long we've been at it. Uh, so I'm, I, I would say I'm discouraged and hopeful at the same time. <laughs> I mean, I, I think you have, to, you have to be hopeful to keep fighting. And, um, and I think that's all we can do. We can't give up. What are we going to do? Like, you know, there's, there's, no, there's no alternative as far as I'm concerned. We have to keep going forward. But it, it can be discouraging sometimes. Uh, yeah. Um... It can be, and I think even the last couple of years, is on on the one hand, there's been lots of awareness, mm-hmm. n- not always a ton of progress, and also no. in some cases, it's further entrenched people in mm-hmm. in views that mm-hmm. you know maybe are are less than inclusive, shall we say? Oh yeah, like there's, I I mean, I think the the conversation that I find most interesting and infuriating with some of the men that are in in my world is that one about. Well, I'm never going to be alone with a woman anymore because, you know, I, I'm like, when I'm not losing my mind, I'm like, fascinating. Why would you, mm. like, how could you even go? Because to me, I'm like, you're saying one of two things. Either you don't believe women when they, when some of these claims have come up, or like, you're doing something you shouldn't be doing. Like, neither of those are good, right? But it's kind of the Mike Pence, like, the easiest solution is just to isolate myself. That right. would be a bad, bad solution to, you know, the problem, I think, is we can't, we have to all live together, all of us. So we right. got to find a way to coexist that's good for everybody because the reality is we're all born equal and, and that's what we should be trying to preserve um, no matter what dimension you're looking at. But yeah, sometimes. I like I like that we've got to we've got to coexist and remember that we were all born as humans. So thank you thank first you. of all. Fascinating conversation as always. I could talk to you for hours. We'll have you we'll have to have you back. <laughs> yeah, we'll, come back. We'll do a recap on how the <laughs> yeah. how the involving men or the uh, yeah. men oh, as yeah. allies program goes. Um, where where can people go? To find out more about you, and I'll link up. I'll link up your LinkedIn and your Twitter and your Instagram on on the show notes. But you've also got Uppity Girl Productions. Yeah. Where else can people find you? On UppityGirl.org. Um, but yeah, those are the main spots. Um, but if if people have questions or want to know more, I I like talking about this stuff, and and we give away. All of our content that we're creating, we give it away to anybody who asks for it. So unconscious bias, challenging your bias, every anybody can take that and use it if they want to. Um, so just yeah, reach out to me. Wow, 
Yeah. Open. Okay. Yeah. I like yeah. it. Well, Heidi, thank you, thank you, thank you. It's been thank a pleasure to have you on the Men at Work me. podcast. Yes. And um, hopefully I'll see you again soon. Happy International Women's Day. Indeed. All right, everyone. That is a wrap on episode number 13 of the Men at Work podcast. What a great conversation with Heidi. She is such an interesting woman and I just love her international flavor that she brings around all the work she's done globally and how she's working on it uh, locally here in North America too. If you like this podcast, please uh, give it a thumbs up. If you feel compelled, I would love a review on iTunes, on SoundCloud, Stitcher, wherever else you're listening. Also, if you have any amazing guest ideas for the show, I would love to hear them. All right, we will talk to you all next week for episode number 14.